Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. We're glad to see you. This is a great day, and I'm always proud of Californians when we get out and brave the rain, you know. <laughs> we can't get no respect from uh, Midwesterners and East Coasters. They, they, they're always kind of like, oh, those Californians, you know, a little bit of weather, and they don't know what to do and everything else. <laughs> and I just kind of put up with it and like, whatever, you know, it's just a... <laughs> So we do know how to handle it, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Great, great to see you. So we do have a building offering at the end of the service. If you're a guest here, just chill out, relax. But it's kind of our uh, savings account. We're a young family uh, growing up. And if you asked, well, where did these beautiful buildings come from? Uh, They just came. We used to meet in a retail shopping center uh, and before that, we met in another retail shopping center that became a city hall for Encinitas, and we were kind of vagabond church, and we said, we got, we got to start saving, because what are we going to do? And, uh, and so that's what we did, and through that, we were able to purchase this land, because uh, otherwise, we would have had to move to Bonzel, <laughs> you know, or Temecula to, to, to be able to afford anything. And uh, it was you who said, this is our church and uh, we're going to prepare. So all we did was start a quarterly offering. We just say, okay. And there's never been any pressure. If you really love Jesus, you, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just you Adult to adult, you love Jesus, we love Jesus, and you're going to figure it out. So how does this happen? And uh, so we all want a piece of the future. And some people can buy a building and some people can buy a toilet, you know, and, and, and we just give as we're able, but it allows us, that's how these buildings happen. So uh, welcome to the family, uh, and we'll have that offering at the end of the service. Well, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for our time together, but I want to set the stage not only for this morning, but for this short series we're doing. Uh, We're beginning a series on the Holy Spirit, And, and what a great thing to take four weeks to talk about sometimes the unknown third person of the Trinity. And he's unknown partially in a good sense because his mission is to glorify Jesus and everything he does is to turn the spotlight onto Jesus. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. But he also does a lot more than that. He brings the presence of Jesus to us. He brings his transforming power. Uh, he, he, he leads and guides us. And he rejuvenates us or regenerates us. He does so many things. And we're going to just pick four of those things to talk about uh, over the next four weeks. And, and what I ask of you is to put on your baby skin. Baby skin is, is so wonderful because, you know, if you've ever watched infants, if they hear a bird, they, they look like, you know, adults, they hear a bird, it's like, whatever, rodents flying in the air, you know, and uh, it, but if you have baby skin, that's amazing. That's a bird. That's amazing. That's a train. That's amazing. That's a per- and they're just wide-eyed, eager to learn, eager to uh, absorb. And that's what I would ask of you. I sometimes approach the word of God like a Pharisee. And I know you would never do this. But I go to a conference and I hear a speaker and I say, okay, well, I've taught on this 18 times. He better say this, 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 this. And I'm not a good learner because I'm expecting him or her to say what I want them to say. So whatever you want us to say over the next four weeks, forget about it. (laughs) Just forget about it. And don't nudge your neighbor saying, I hope you're really listening to this because you you really need to... (laughs) So this is, this is for you, and this is for me. Because what if you could read the word of God like you've never read it before? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You can't. Uh, just say, God, here I am, wide-eyed, eager to learn. So this morning, we're going to talk about the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life to make you a new you. And the way I want to get into it before we pray is to describe to you the way the Bible 
begins. You see, the Holy Spirit is not some tag-on thing that happens later on in the New Testament. He's right there in the early pages, second verse of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1 reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is. Everything from A to Z. The heavens, everything in it, to the earth and everything in it. And he says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, almost as he's depicted in the New Testament as a dove. But another translation says that he's brewing over the deep. Now, you'd have to picture a pretty big bird that's just mega bird, you know, flapping his wings and hovering, but it's, it's not a bird. It's the Holy Spirit. And there's all kinds of things that we won't have time to go into in those, that first chapter because there's the word of God that begins to create. And it's the word of God, the gospel, that changes your life and my life applied by the Holy Spirit, right? And the reason I wanted to start there and paint that picture for you and I, that hovering Holy Spirit, is the New Testament grabs a hold of this and depicts your new creation just like the first creation. The New Testament calls you a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and guess what? It's the Holy Spirit. He's hovering. He's brewing over your life. It's God up close and personal creating the new you, the best you, the you he's always had in mind. So let's take a moment to pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your holy word. And we do come to you with baby skin to freshly learn from you about our new creation. God, you know the address of every person here. You know exactly what we personally need from you. Lord, some of us are, are looking for a better life. Some of us are, are looking for your approval. Some of us are just sick and tired of ourselves and we want to become a new you. All of us, Lord, are just wide-eyed, eager to learn. And so we pray that you would Use your word to not only illumine our minds, but to change our hearts. And we ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. So where we begin is in John chapter 3. And I want to take you to a story that most of us skip over to get to our favorite verse. Our favorite verse in America based on the NFL, is John 3.16, right? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him, some of you said whosoever, that was good, that's King James. <laughs> whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Amen. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But oftentimes, to get to that verse, we skip over some of the prelude. So today, we're going to study the prelude to that. And it begins with our need for regeneration. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of John. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. There's a lot going on here, and I'm just going to touch on a few things because it's just setting the stage for what Jesus is going to say. But 
Nicodemus is a guy that just appears here and we don't hear about him ever again until after Jesus has been killed on the cross. And it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who step forward, who are on this Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea to put Jesus' body in his family tomb which is very, very expensive, hewn out of stone. All the family members are going to be buried into that. And guess what? He has to come home and tell his wife that day, I gave away our family tomb to this guy named Jesus. And she says, you what? He says, it's okay. He only needs it for a few days. (laughs) It's true. He only borrowed it for three days. And they got it back. <laughs> Some of us wish we could give that way, right? Kind of like a yo-yo. You know, it's just, well, I gave it and boom, it just came back to me. Well, in some ways it does. Uh, cast your bread on the water. But the other thing we find out about Nicodemus is he's in cahoots with Joseph of Arimathea because he ponies up the money to buy 75 pounds, this is at the end of John, of myrrh and and frankincense to anoint Jesus' body with. How much money is that? You know, when Mary anointed Jesus uh, with her perfume, it's estimated in modern-day economics that that cost her $30,000. That's expensive perfume. (laughs) So I don't know what 75 pounds cost, but these were probably wealthy people that stepped forward at the end and said, we're followers of Jesus. So we have a happy ending to Nicodemus. And I think Nicodemus is just too hard to say every time. So can I, without sacrilegious, can I just call him Nico? (laughs) So Nico, he wants to meet Jesus. And he's got a problem. Every time the Pharisees come to encounter Jesus, it is not good. They're judging Jesus. They're trying to see if he's right. And they approach religion as right. There's a difference. Approaching God seeking truth and seeking right. Right tends to be a hammer by which we judge everybody else with. You're not as right as me. You don't use the right translation. You don't worship the right way. That's not the way the song goes. You don't stand up there. You don't sit there. You don't fight, fight, fight there. You, we we, we want to judge people with our standard. And that's what Jesus has experienced by a lot of the Pharisees. They keep coming at him, not to him. So you have this culmination in Matthew 23 where Jesus kind of unloads about the Pharisees. You're just whitewashed sepulchers. You're white on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. You've never been changed on the inside. So now a Pharisee is coming to Jesus, but he's coming by night. Now why by night? I'm glad you asked. Two possible reasons. One is... He doesn't want to be publicly associated with Jesus. He could be judged by his fellow Pharisees, by all these darn right people. And he really wants to have a conversation. And more likely, even beyond that, he's scheduled an appointment with Jesus where the crowds aren't there. This is a one-on-one. To be a member of the Sanhedrin means the 70 There were 70 men, sorry gals, it was just the way things were. Uh, There were 70 men who were the ruling council or Congress of Israel. So this is pretty close to the Congress that we would think of the Congress because it was both civil and religious. And they're the deciding body for all of the Jews And one of them wants a one-on-one conversation. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea had already had his one-on-one, and he said, Nick, you got to go. This guy is actually the real deal. So he comes to Jesus, and he begins by saying, 
Nobody could do these great works, these miracles that you're doing. And Jesus wasn't just into miracles for miracles' sake. Like, wow, watch this. Watch this. You know, like Star Wars. He was... He did miracles that were good. They were acts of goodness that were powerful, like healing a blind man, like raising a little girl from the dead. They were all connected to goodness. And so he says, no one could do these signs if they were not connected to God, if God was not with you. So we know that you are a teacher sent from God. Now, that's the limit of what he knows, right? A lot of people would stop right there that Jesus was just a good teacher. Be careful. Because if he is a good teacher and not a bad teacher or a liar teacher, then we have to read everything that he taught. And one of the things that he taught was that he was the son of God. And one of the things that he teaches here is that he is the way, the only way to God. So Nico just doesn't know much, and he's come to check Jesus out. Now, if we were to push pause on a remote control right there, you would have to admit that this is how we all come to God, isn't it? Whether we come through that door into church or we're meeting with a friend, talking about spiritual things or checking something out online, we're we're checking God out, but we're checking him out according to us, how we think God would be. What would a good God be like? Well, I just think that God should be, I don't know, and you just be fill in the blanks. And we all do that. We kind of do this sketch of the right God, of how we, he, would be, he would be gentle. I don't like harsh people. So gentle. Uh, he would not be judgmental. I don't like judgmental people. Uh, you know. In fact, I'm not really thrilled about the, the judgment day. So that's probably something that was written into religion. Uh, it, it shouldn't be right. Everybody gets to go to heaven, Right? It's almost a democratic American right. If you're a humanoid, you deserve heaven. It ought to be written in some bill of rights somewhere. And and we just kind of go on and say, are you who I want you to be? Now, Nico had his own projections onto Jesus based on his idea of who the Messiah should be. And I suspect that that's what he's doing here. Now, if you think about the American spirituality that goes on, and I feel like I've been through all these iterations growing up, you know, that the early part of my childhood is, is, is more of a Santa Claus God. He's checking the list, checking it twice to see if you've been naughty or nice, and that's kind of who he is. And then one day, he's nice, and he gives out presents. But the rest of the time, he's just checking. Uh, Kind of an accountant God. And what is he accounting for? He's he's checking on my morality, and he's checking on my religious practices. How many times did you read the Bible? How many times did you pray? How many times did you... uh, I remember... When the minister would pray, those times I did go to church, uh, I would close the hymnal, but I'd put my hand inside the hymnal as I closed it, because it just felt more spiritual. And as my way of saying, whoever you are, I'm in. That's good. So the accountant, Santa Claus God, and then there's the, uh, the God that I kind of merged into, and that was... It was more of a Hindu god that, that there are many roads to the top of the mountain, a lot of different gods, just important to plug into one, and, but everybody else is right too, you know, which is really kind of strange because nothing else is like that. And if you said to me, you know, uh, Lamborghini and a Prius, it, it's all the same. 
I drive a Prius. I can tell you, it's not. <laughs> Guy was telling me about how far fast a Tesla can go off the line, and I said, well, I drive a Prius, and it's partially electric, and it's very fast off the line, too. And he looked at me like, are you kidding me? A Prius and a Tesla, <clears throat> you know. So many roads to the top of the mountain. And then you go on a little bit further and you're, you want God to be what I would call a duct tape God, where it's, it's you duct tape new spiritualities onto it. And this was more, you know, I'm not going to start naming religions, but you know, this is more of my <clears throat> days where I just, I just think, well, there's maybe not a God, but if he is a God, I think you just kind of get to duct tape things to your life as you go on. You know, kind of like we do diets today. You know, I, I, I started out, uh, you know, carnivorous, and then I moved to uh, vegan, and then I moved to uh, all these different other kind of things, you know? Sorry, I'm gonna be meddling in your life. <laughs> I, I moved to keto, I need moved to paleo, and, and now I'm just back carnivorous again. <laughs> but we do that with our spirituality. We just kind of, hmm, I wonder if I do, I'll just do like a spiritual meditation technique right here. And I'll do a little random act of kindness right over here. Love the random stuff. They don't even see me coming. Just kind of blindside them with kindness. That way I don't have to do it very often. And, and we duct tape this thing, kind of like a cut up little paper doll that shouldn't have been cut up. We cut it the wrong way and now we're taping it back together. And it's the new you. But we know it's not. It's just a duct tape to me where I've taken bits and pieces of every spirituality imaginable. And there's something in me that keeps gnawing at me, saying, there's gotta be something more. Like, I was, I was created for something, and I can't believe that this is it. I think at the core, there's something in us, just like Genesis 3 says, where they cover up their bodies with fig leaves and shame, where we say, there's part of me that just feels like I'm not good enough every day. There's part of me that feels like there's a better story that's supposed to come out of me. We end up with a try-harder religion. We end up whitewashing on the outside. <laughs> and sometimes the termites are just eaten away. <laughs> Ignore the the man behind the curtain, ignore the termites. Isn't it a pretty house? And we hope that's, but that's not what we want. Folks, we're authentic. We're real. And we want to be real from the inside out. So how do we get there? Well, we need to be reborn. But guess what? It's humanly impossible. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one, can you say no one? No. Do you know what no one means in the Greek? No one. Okay, I'm just making that clear. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus, Nico says, how can someone be born when they are old? Makes no sense. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And surely you cannot. So what's happening? Jesus turns the tables on Nico. Nico has this wonderful preamble and just all these nice, you're amazing, Jesus. You do this, do this, do this. And Jesus, whether it's we don't have much time or Nico, I know what's ultimately on your heart, even though you're not saying it, is you gotta be born again. And no one, no matter how much duct tape you put to the spiritual techniques and practices of your life, can enter the kingdom of God. Absolutely no one. And this has to have shocked Nico. Because every one of us would like to think that 
somehow most of us entered the kingdom of heaven. I mean, as I said earlier, it's almost an American myth. And I think I do more funerals than anyone here. Anyone got me beat? And so I have the pulse of what people believe at funerals. And I would say 90% of all Americans believe that everybody wins. No matter who the Padres are playing today, they win every time. No matter what happens, everybody wins. And Jesus says no. That we got to get to the core of the core of the core. And the only way to get to the core issue is we need a new you. Now, there's an interesting study here that I want to point your attention to, and that is this word, to be born. Jesus says, truly, truly, and the literal is amen, amen. And by the way, if you're a fan of studying Jesus, um, the way you know he's about to make a solemn statement that is going to be on the final is he gives a prelude, always, that says, amen, or it's a double amen. That's the way that you pronounce it, and that's what he would say. And everyone would listen up. Can you imagine if your chemistry or English teacher did that? You could just ignore everything that they were saying, and then would say, amen, amen, and then you would write it down for the final. <laughs> so this is on the final. This is important. No one... It doesn't matter if you're a church person. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you're a cuddly, lovable person. No one. There's something that every single one of us needs, and that is new birth, born. The word is ganeo. I know that doesn't change your life. Like, whoa, <laughs> that's an amazing word. But if you hear the word and play it out in your mind, you realize we get some words from that. Genetics, genealogy, and yes, the subject matter of today, regeneration, comes from Geneo. And so he says, born. And it's right at the emphasis at the beginning to tell us that's what's needed, born. And then he uses the second word, which is Anothen, which means again or from above. And we know how Nico took it because he took it again by saying, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So he understood what Jesus was saying. Birthed again. So Jesus is actually saying, you need new genes. You need a new DNA code because what you are doing now is just replicating or repeating or making new iterations of the same old you. Tacking them on rather than going to the core of the issue. And he uses the phrase kingdom of God rather than heaven. That's how most of us think when even when we read John 3.16, we're thinking of heaven. How do we get to heaven? But it's more than heaven. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is ruling. Obviously, it's in heaven, and 100% of God's will is happening in heaven. So we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it already is in heaven. We need more of you, God, down here because it just doesn't look like heaven sometimes, right? So sometimes God's will is moving 100% like in heaven, but sometimes it's a little bit in our lives. Sometimes it's greater, kind of like high tide, low tide, but it's connected to your will. You see, you have a will. Kingdom of God is God's will. And guess what? You have a will too. And 
you're probably perfect, but some of us have a will that's contrary to God's will. It's just like a weather vane that's just a little bit off. God wants this, and well, me not so much. A little bit over here. And so your will, your heart, is the weather vane. It's, it's the direction of what you want and what I want and how much we want it. And even when we do want what God wants, our passion for it is not so great sometimes, right? Paul talks about this in Romans 7, where he talks about the fact what God wants and what I not want are just at odds with each other. And he says, who will deliver me from this state I find myself in? St. Augustine described himself as not having a conflict of his will and God's will. He says, I've got two wills inside of me. There's the good will that wants to do everything God, then there's the bad will that has his own opinions, like a bratty kid and a good kid that's inside of me. And, and he felt divided. Just one of you nod if you've ever experienced that. <laughs> so what do we do? Well, Jesus is saying we need a new you, which has a new will, which is wanting to do what God wants. So this is beyond Nicodemus's comprehension. And it just blows his mind. He says, how can that even happen? But what Jesus is saying is there needs to be an invasion into your life. Rather than just the self-help, get better, get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, what if we go to the core of your floor plan and your foundation and we build a new house? It's pretty radical, folks. There is no... You can check it out. You can do the study of the religions of the world. There is no teacher on the planet that goes to the core of you and says, eh, eh. born again, new you. And how does that even begin to happen? Let me take you to a diagram I skipped over earlier and uh, catch everybody up with, at least this is my psychosis. If this helps you, take a picture of it, and if it doesn't, uh, just ignore it for a second. Go on a commercial break. <laughs> so I put spirit, really big font, so you would know that I believe it's all the spirit of God. He's working in all of the things that are going on, and think of all the things that are going on in your life, starting from the bottom. There's all kinds of circumstances. We got business, we got neighborhood, we got family, just all kinds of things topsy-turvy things, and then we got people and friends in our lives that are influencing us for good or for bad, these tug-of-wars, and then we got the Word of God, the Bible, the gospel, that somehow cuts through it all with a clarion call, like hopefully I'm doing right now, speaking to your heart, and then there's pain and brokenness. Rarely does change happen without pain. Sometimes a little bit, but rarely. How many times do you change your tires? Only when you need them rotated and you got a flat tire. Flat tires are painful, right? Whoa, now I want to know where that, that spare is. Did you ever care about the spare before? Nobody drives down there, wow, just thinking about my spare tire. Besides this. <laughs> we don't think about the fix until we go through the pain. And some of the pain we experience is, is what we say and what we do or what we don't do and what we would have said if we'd known better to say it and how we would have loved if we'd known how to love and and we end up looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not happy with you. And we've lived together a long time. <laughs> How do you change you? And Jesus tells us it's humanly impossible. And until you believe that, you're going to still keep duct taping your life. 
And the more resourceful you are, the more you're going to keep doing it. Because, yep, all of those people can't get into the kingdom of God, but I'm MacGyver, <laughs> and I'm that amazing guy. I got temper, just go to the self-help section, fix my temper. I've got an attitude, go to the self-help section. I've changed my attitude. I'm five foot seven, go to the self-help section. I'm now six foot five. Whatever it is that I can keep fixing myself until. Oh, it's you again staring back at me. And it's pain that brings us there. So these things are all being led by the Spirit. He's behind it all. The reformers called it prevenient grace, where he's working even though you don't know he's working. And it's all grace, all undeserved love. But he's bringing us to a point. And this is the only line you sing in the whole chorus. You see, God's doing this fantastic symphony. And this is your only line. Your only line right there is, yes, that's it. And it's not amazing. God is amazing, right? Your only line is, yes, I surrender, I believe. I believe you are the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And boom, there's a combustion. And out of that comes regeneration. You're born again. Isn't that amazing? And we all feel, but that's too simple. I've got to stick to the try harder method. (laughs) It's pride. Just saying. It's it's pride. (laughs) Why would you not surrender? Why would you not give up? And say, it's you, Jesus. So Jesus tells us how to get there. But he says, humanly, it's impossible. This is what I love about the 12-step movement, sometimes called the recovery movement. And some of you have been in that or are in that. But there's two things that stand out about that. I came to the end of myself, and I realized that I am powerless. Until you're powerless, you're still amazing. You've, you haven't come to the end of your rope. The other thing I like is the belief in a greater power. And it's right there in the first two steps. You've got to come to the end of yourself and admit you're powerless, and there is a power outside of me. And you and I know that to be Jesus Christ, right? So it's an invasion. It's an outside work into the inside of me. Isn't that amazing? It's not starting layers on the outside like an onion. He goes right to the core. We got to start on the very core of who you are and change your heart, change your will. Some of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia, the Bible to me. <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis. And, uh, and in this wonderful story, I think it may be the fifth of the Narnia series, but I, I love it because it's the ocean and they're sailing and, and uh, they come to an island and there's this really obnoxious boy on the boat. The boat is called the Dawn Treader, D-A-W-N. And it's treading on the dawn. You got it? Okay. And... Uh, so they come to this island, and Eustace, who's this, you know the story, it, it, he's kind of an obnoxious guy. And actually, some uh, literary critics think that Lewis is talking about himself as he was a boy, that he may be, have been that little obnoxious kid that uh, other people found obnoxious. So... Eustace, when everybody else is being responsible, they're resurfacing the boat, they're taking care of the boat, they're restocking the boat, Eustace has the time to stroll off on the island. And he comes to a dragon's treasure, the dragon's lair. And what happens when someone falls asleep on a dragon's lair? We all know this, so be very careful. You become 
a dragon, right? There, there's a principle there. If you pursue something, you're going to become like whatever you're pursuing, right? So if you're pursuing greed, guess what? You become greedy. And so he wakes up and he's a dragon. That's a bummer. And he doesn't know what to do. He can't undragon himself. So he does what a dragon, he can breathe fire and he can fly. So he starts flying around the island. It's a small island. He's just cruising around the island. He sees his friends at the boat down on the beach. He drops in for a visit on the beach. And, and they realize that it's Eustace. He's become a dragon. And they try, he tries, he cannot undragon himself. It's humanly impossible. So he goes away, sad, on the, in the middle of the island. He can't even sail away with his friends on the boat. So what does he do? Well, one night, Aslan, this fabulous, Christ-like figure, Aslan, this lion that's the size of an elephant, shows up and confronts the dragon. And without saying a word, he lets the dragon know what he's thinking and asks the dragon to undress. And the dragon looks at himself and says, I'm not wearing any clothes, and realizes, ah, he intuits that I'm supposed to take off my outer reptilian skin. Just like lizards and snakes shed their skin, so do dragons. So he sheds his skin and he realizes there's another layer under that. And so the dragon is told by the lion, undress again. He undresses again. He's told by the lion, undress again. And dresses again. He's told by the lion, undress again. You're getting the picture? That's how we do religion. We keep doing the same thing, duck taping our spirituality, thinking we're somehow becoming something new, and it's, it's still you. It's still you. So finally, the lion puts out his huge claws, and he starts at the neck, and he just gouges the dragon. And what a scene. The lion against the dragon, he rips down the core belly of the dragon and rips the dragon open and picks him up with his virgin skin and heaves him into the pond and he turns into Eustace. Kind of like baptism. Kind of like rebirth. And it's a picture of this radical image that Jesus has for you and me. How do we do it? You have to be born anew. So we've come to the end of this message where it says in this section, only the Spirit can do this radical rebirth in my life and your life. Amen, amen. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. Isaiah Chapter 44 talks about how just as the, the water comes on the land and gives birth to the seeds and the spirit comes on us and gives us new birth. Uh, you can think of baptism as being the water. But the point is that both uh, entities are pictures of new life. And we have to be born of, of the water and the spirit. Some people have thought that it's talking about the woman's water breaking, and so you have to have the first birth, and then the spirit is the second birth. Uh, I'm not a fan of that theory, but it, I'm not going to argue about that one, okay? I think we all get that it's talking about this new birth. But flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. This is such a great line. Guess what flesh produces? Flesh! <laughs> So in my effort, my, my consternation, my everything that I do, I produce I. 
And you can take it really negatively, like Paul talks about the flesh being the sinful self, and you're just going to produce sinful self. But even if you take it positively, as just meaning uh, human physical effort, human physical effort just produces physical human results. But the spirit produces spiritual results. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So he says it again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, and you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So this word, genao, that we started out with and Jesus uses again, uh, you must be born. It's really fun for us to think about it now that we through science, understand DNA. Your DNA only produces your DNA. My DNA does not produce your footprint or your fingerprint. My DNA produces more of me, and that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to go to a different source, and the different source is the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Let's come back to this diagram that we looked at earlier. What happens in this moment where we are regenerated and this new birth begins? It's really big, folks. Jesus says it starts out small, but guess what? You know, there's other texts where he says it starts out like leaven, yeast, and then it, where you can't even see the yeast in the dough, but then you put it and it just starts rising. Uh, he, he says that that's the way the kingdom of God works. So you surrender your heart and life to Jesus today. You surrender. What happens? Well, you don't just emerge out of here like, I am now amazing. <laughs> Clear the way for this angelic creature. It, it doesn't work that way. It starts out small, but as I show in the diagram, regeneration begins to expand. It expands into every area of your life, how you think, your attitude. My mom used to always say that to the grandchildren. Attitude. Your attitude, how you look at people, how you think about people, what you do for people. It just goes into every nook and cranny of your life. And Jesus says it here. It's like the wind. It's blowing in your life. You can't see, you can't see wind. You can't see air unless you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> you can't see air in San Diego, but we see wind. How? Well, we see the waves blowing Victory at sea, we see the trees blowing. And that's how it is in your life. You can't see the Spirit, but you can see the results, or what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But there's more that the Spirit brings into your life. The first thing is forgiveness. The Spirit affirms to you, there's this inner witness that says, you are forgiven. And he counteracts, like an attorney, your doubts. Because you're going to think, well, I don't feel forgiven. I feel pretty... Sh stop it. Stop it. The Spirit's right there to say, stop it. Stop it. Uh, because you are forgiven. What else does he do? He brings power into your life to now begin to do things that you didn't do before. He gives you this new will. You used to only do what you wanted to do. But now you have a, a choice. You can still do the selfish you, or you can choose this new way. So the Spirit brings you power to do that. He actually climbs inside of you as an internal coach. Can you imagine if some of you are life coaches, and you visit executives, or you hang out at the gym, and you're just like, all right, you're that coach. Just like, do it this way, this way. What if you had an internal coach? And what if you didn't have to pay him by the hour? <laughs> Just an internal coach inside. You say, that would be good. Nope, wouldn't do that. That would be good. like an umpire. 
just guiding you. But the biggest thing is he brings the presence of Jesus. So all the things that Jesus taught, he climbs inside of you and says, oh yeah, we're gonna do the Jesus thing now. So this is all the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. So folks, it's this new birth. And if you had to ask me, why would God do this? I mean, this is amazing. Why would he do that? My first answer would be, beats me. <laughs> I mean, it is so mind-boggling. I, I don't know. But I do know. And you know too. John three sixteen, Because God so loved you. That's why. That is the motivation behind the Holy Spirit regenerating you. Because God loves you and he brings the love of God to you. Oh my gosh. If I heard someone at the fairgrounds selling this, I would buy a hundred. You know, those guys in the tent that are selling knives that slices and dices, how many will you buy, you know, and all that kind of stuff. If, if someone was telling me in the booth of religion and spirituality, step right up, I just think, are you kidding me? A new me? The best me? The ultimate me? The, God, the me that God had in mind? Absolutely. I'll only take one because I don't think I can handle any more. But I do want one. Now, some of you say, well, what if I'm already a believer and I have been reborn? What about me? The first thing I'd say is come back next week and you'll find out. <laughs> we got three more weeks, remember? But for today, folks, I want you to celebrate this new birth. I've, I've taken some time to to dig this up so that some of you who accepted Christ and just checked the box and heard, you want to be born again? And say, well, whatever. And you, you raise your hand. You didn't really know the depth of what Jesus, now you know uh, what Jesus is really saying. But some of us realize that, you know, I don't think I ever made that decision. Or maybe I did when I was a kid and I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Folks, you must, you must, you must be born again. Shortly after I became pastor here, uh, a friend of mine, heart was dying. Steve's heart was dying. And he needed a new heart. And there was no new heart for him. And, and he and his wife, they, they'd see a motorcyclist go by, and they say, hey, honey, that might be my new heart going by. You know, it's sad to think that, but, uh, yeah. These cycle donors <laughs> that, are, that are flying around us, you know, that's the way they think. And, but it didn't get there in time. So his heart died, but they instantly put him on a machine that had just been invented that year. It was a machine about this big that you take the dead heart out of his chest and you hook him up to this machine and it beats your heart, 180 beats a minute. So he was losing weight as fast as he would eat. And he was waiting for a new heart. Now picture this. Every time I visited him in the hospital, Steve was laying there, and there was, he nicknamed it Goliath. And there was Goliath pumping him, and, and he was, it, Goliath was loud in, in those days. Now I'm told that they have these little packs that you wear, little mini Goliaths that... Uh, almost the size of uh, a pacemaker. And, and it keeps you alive while you're waiting for a heart. So he's got, 
empty chest, just lungs, waiting for a heart. And he has to have it opened again once the heart gets there. So for a whole month, he was heartless. Without a heart. And the question is, what, what heart is he going to get? Is he going to get the heart of a, a cranky old man? Is, and does he become cranky? Is he going to get the heart of a lady? And he begins to have gender issues? Uh, it, does, what, what happens when he gets this new heart? Well, guess what? Finally came the phone call when, sadly, a 17-year-old skater without a helmet, and he was going to become a skater. (laughs) And he got a skater's heart. And from day one, he's, Mark, I'm a skater now. He's 60-something. He says, I'm a skater now. And I've got an attitude, and I've got a, you know, and, and you and I know that the hearts don't carry dispositions. It's just a good, healthy new heart. But he got a new heart, and that's what Jesus is saying he does for you, and he does for me. You get a new you, the best you, the reboot you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for the gospel, the good news that you go right to the heart of the matter. You recreate us. You just don't paint the outside. And God, many of us, we've just been painting the barn forever. And God, we want you to move in us from the inside out. So some of us just reclaim what we've always believed, and that is it starts with faith in you and what you did on the cross and the power of your resurrection. We return to finding our identity in you, that I'm crucified in you, Jesus, and I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live by faith in you who loved me and died for me. And then some of us here, you realize you've never made the decision or you did a long time ago and you never knew what it meant to be born again. And now you do. And so in the privacy of this moment, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if this is you, I want you to raise your hand where you are. And in so doing, it's, it's you surrendering your heart and life to Christ. Yes, God bless you back there. And God bless you two down in the front and two or three of you back there in the back in the alcove and you over here and you over here on the aisle and you over here to my left back there as well. Yes, you can put your hand down right right down here. Who else? Have I missed your head? Yeah, God bless you and God bless you. Thank you. This is your, yes, God bless you. This is your moment. You're surrendering. You're saying, I'm I'm believing this rebirth through the Holy Spirit. Yes, God bless you right here. Who else? Yes, God bless you. If you look at me, you'll see me waving to you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anybody else? So good, so many. Lord, if you, uh, if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out, Lord. Lord, thank you for new birth, to be reborn at the core of my being, my heart. Lord, so I pray in faith, come into my life and make me new. Holy Spirit, Come in. Forgive me of my sins. Grant me power to begin living a new life. Bring the presence of Jesus into my life. 
Lord, write your will upon the will of my heart in life. Today, Lord, I'm reborn. So guide me and fill me. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.